Today on episode 23, we're going to take a blast to the past where dinosaurs roam the. Wait, huh? Oh, we're going to the 80s where neon was the coolest thing in the world ever, and even more awesome than neon was GI Joe. Yo Joe. Yo Joe. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about our favorite GI Joes from the respective years in the past, known as the 80s. Let's kick it on to the team of GI Joeberg. Yar. <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 23 of G.I. Joburg, as my esteemed colleague has just mentioned. And in this episode, each of us has been assigned a year from which we have nominated the three of our most favorite individual items. The task of the other two members of the podcast is not to praise those items, but to critique them, if we can. Oftentimes on this podcast, we gush about our favorites. And to be perfectly honest, whenever I'm reading reviews on G.I. Joe items that I'd like to purchase or have had an interest in but don't yet own, I am less interested in hearing all of its good points and more interested in hearing its negative points. I think that a negative review is often far more useful than one that is gushy and just overwhelming with praise. So the rather difficult task we've set ourselves this evening is to discuss three items, each selected from the years 1984, 1985, and 1986, and actually come up with points against them. Now, 1984 to 1986, I think we can all agree, was when G.I. Joe really hit its hot streak. Some of the most venerable items came from those years, some of our personal favorites came from those years, and some of the items that are now being fodder for re-release Camp in those years. From those years, yeah. One need only mention the upcoming Eagle Hawk to see exactly how fan fervor has reached fever pitch on throwback retro items being updated for our modern era figures. But this is a debate that I actually wanted to kick this episode off with, and that is, what are your thoughts on the new Eagle Hawk, gentlemen? None of us have the Eagle Hawk in hand, but the pictures that have started circulating on the web have kind of galvanized our opinions a little bit. I, for one, am all of a sudden reluctant by an eagle hawk. Well, we'll get into that now. Anyone want to kick it off by praising the new eagle hawk? Well, I'm usually part of the appraisal committee. I'll take a first jab at it. I never owned a tomahawk originally. I always played with others, uh, with uh, tomahawks that, you know, a friend of mine's tomahawk. Got to sound sturdy already. And a lot of the parts and stuff were, were already missing. I remember having it and thinking that it didn't have the side guns, it didn't have any of the seats in it, those are all gone, and I had a lot of fun with it. It was a very cool helicopter to have, it's a big toy, I used to stuff it full of Joes all the time. A lot of immense joy from the Tomahawk, and it is a really great toy, I don't even have to really go on about it. And I have been like trolling um, eBay for a Tomahawk for the last two years, and then there was Steven's um, awesome discovery of a mint and box Tomahawk at a local toy shop, which was fairly unheard of. I'm excited at the prospect of getting a Minton Box Eagle Hawk. I'm making the distinction now because it is not a Tomahawk, but it kind of is. It definitely is a shadow of its former self, but I find that there are a lot of really, really cool aspects to it. For starters, you know, one of the major changes in the cockpit being the actual heads-up display. I like that quite a bit. I'm quite a fan of the better use of space. This is obviously done to cater for the modern era figures. I like the fact that they actually kept it as close to the Tomahawk as they could. It doesn't look as cheap as the Sky Striker does, and that for me is a big positive. Before it uh, fades into distant memory, I'm going to pick out one of those points you just made. Well, it from... doesn't look as cheap as the Sky Striker, but on the 30th anniversary of Sky Striker, in all the publicity shots, looked fantastic. Like It was in a darker grey, it had black fins, it had a very detailed cockpit, you know, it showed off all of this positive point. You know, and of course, you could tell at first blush that it wasn't going to be a two-seater, and people were disappointed about that, but easily overlooked by 
level of detail that went into the cockpit. You know, all of the latent defects of the modern Skystriker repress were well hidden. And I think perhaps the same thing might be true of the Eagle Well, the first thing, like I mentioned before, I like how they've redone the cockpit. I think it looks really, really cool, at least from the pictures I've seen. Um, and really, really necessary. I mean, anyone trying to stuff their modern era figures into a vintage Tomahawk cockpit knows full well the frustration. Exactly. And exactly how bad the figures look inside what is quite a cramped cockpit, even by O-ring figures standards. I also like the side guns as well. I think the side guns look really, really cool. The, the mounted and guns. And they seem to have some additional movement. Exactly. Whereas the originals could just swivel. Now the new ones can pick it up and down. Which is a plus. Also, the new ones look more like guns and less like hoses. I found that the old ones always looked a bit like a water hose. Um, <laughs> and were not intended to be removable. Of course, you could yank them out if you didn't mind damaging the base of the gun. Exactly. There's a few other details, cosmetic details, some of the rivets and things like that that they've popped on in some places. But I think the biggest positive to it, and you mentioned this actually, Steve, was the rotors look a lot easier to remove. The propellers? Yeah, that's a huge improvement. And that's going to make it really cool for a lot of Joe fans, I think, that have these toys but can't always display them or can't display something of that size. It's also easier for guys like us who would like to take our stuff from one house to another. It's, it's easier to transport the Eagle Hawk. I think that's a big positive. Granted, and it being a currently released toy, you might not be so precious about it. You have to treat it exactly. like old dust. Just take it outside and take the property. Oh, it's that's cool. It fits the new Joes, which I think is brilliant. And the cockpit, the guys aren't lying down like they did in the Sky Striker. One, for two people in there. one of the best things about the Eagle Hawk, I think Lift Ticket looks really cool. It's a really, really great figure. It looks like his knees can bend and his ankles can bend. <laughs> and it and it comes with and it comes with that additional headgear, which I think is fantastic. I mean if you want to put Wild Bull in there, then you can give Wild Bull a headset, or you can give Hawk a headset, or you can give Duke a headset. It's cool, because I just recently watched Predator. And in Predator, Dutch is wearing the headgear as well. They're sitting there all talking, getting ready for the mission. And the light goes off, the light, and Dutch has got headgear on and he's all like, okay, it's time for the mission. And that kind of thing's cool, because you can have one of your dudes in the food compartment, Duke or Hawk or Stalker, he can have those headphones on and be like, okay guys, mission time. Which is cool. It's bullshit! All of it! So you cook that bullshit story and drop the six of us in the meat grinder! Dylan! You're also Dylan, expendable! Son of a bitch! Hey, it's never too late for an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation. But, you know how much I'm dying to get an Eagle Hawk now? And I want to try and either scratch build or like a little little radio, or maybe like Marauder Inc. or one of these other guys will go and make molds of that boombox, the Autobot boombox. But Blaster. Blaster. It'll be so cool to have like a little boombox in the Tomahawk. And if you play that track from Predator and you got your, your Joe's Fucking awesome. It's not sad because I felt the same way. i seen images recently on Flickr of a G.I. Joe's photographer who would take his Joe down into the darkness. It was a very cool Huey produced. And it doesn't look like it's a blue box Huey. I want it bad. It's slightly scaled down, but it's perfect. Fits two guys up front. There's adequate crew capacity in the back. I will try and post that image or repost that image on my blog. Don't think and find helicopter. I need to find one because yeah, I mean, owning a Tomahawk, I now see the need for the similar but different types of helicopter. Yeah, I hear. So that. it sounds like me and Paul are kind of. I, I don't, I'm, I'm excited for the Eagle Hawk, but I think Steve, you're you're reticent. You have two Tomahawks. Well, here's, here's my reasoning. I mean, the overarching reason is I own the vintage 
why I don't want to be one. Well, I suppose the numbers game. But I'm not such a believer in omnipoling. I only ever need one helicopter for my own purpose. I can't multiply myself play with two tomahawks at the same time. And holding a tomahawk in each hand it's looks kind of silly. Uh, yeah, and you don't really get much enjoyment out of doing that, to my mind. I suppose you could make for great dio shots, but I'm not really a dio writer. Look, I'm superimposing my experiences with the Sky Striker onto the tunnel. I can get into actual criticisms of the Eagle Hawk and reasons why I say that it's an inferior helicopter to the Tomahawk. I'm sure most fans out there would agree. But similarly, when I hold the 30th anniversary Sky Striker next to the vintage Sky Striker, its shortcomings are immediately apparent. The plug-in wings, the single-seater recliner cockpit, the bombs that fall off after a skewed glance, the landing gear, which is just wholly inadequate, stands on failure at any sign of a rough landing. The fact that the original had rubber tires with rivets in the wheels, remake has plastic tires with plastic axles. Yeah, no, I just, I have no love for the 30th anniversary Sky Striker. And if anything, the 30th anniversary Sky Striker has forced me into loving the vintage Sky Striker even more. The 30th is hanging from my ceiling. The vintage one that I play with almost exclusively. I completely ignore the 30th anniversary one. So if I buy an Eagle Hawk, it's going to get the same treatment in the Eagle in favor of the Vintage. Because, oh, let me count the ways quickly. <laughs> There's an overarching reason I have for loving the Vintage toys, and that's the kind of synergy that they have. The figures were scaled to the vehicle. They had the right dimension back plugs and foot plugs to interact well with the vehicles. The problem when you adapt a Vintage vehicle for modern-era use is that the vehicle is still scaled to the three and three quarter inch figure. You're, Except uh, it's actually bigger, isn't it? They've increased the size a little. But they've sunken the flooring and they have recessed the cockpit seats. But you're eking out space in a vehicle whose ultimate dimensions have not changed. So you're kind of squashing things, pulling things, pushing things, and the end result is that you've got to pay the price for all these pushings and pullings. Eventually. As the 25th anniversary style of modern era style figures, while some work has gone into accommodating in the Eagle they still look very awkward because a lot of them can't achieve a 90 degree bend in their hips and a lot of them can't keep their legs close enough together. So you've got these rather beefy figures all duking it out for a space inside a vehicle that, to be perfectly honest, when you've got five or more lowering figures right in the back of the tunnel, things look like this is a well laden transport helicopter. Mm. Now all of a sudden you're going to take the same size helicopter and multiply the scale of the figures. Well, I think... It, the problem is to start multiplying, to be honest. The back end, the rear rotor shaft, is a separate piece that plugs in. Yeah. And has rather unsightly screw holes uh, on it, which, you know, it won't bug you if you don't have a vintage, because, after all, it is a toy, and screws are used to hold toys together. Yeah. But the vintage Tomahawk has no such flaws breaking at the line. The front end has painted plastic instead of transparent separate molded pieces. Yeah, that's a big uh, one. Underside. So, yeah, I mean, it cuts down crew visibility. Only the front windshield is opaque. The small panel windows beneath pilot and co-pilot's feet are now solid plastic. The missiles and bombs are retained, except now the bombs are, I think, also missiles, which is actually quite cool. I can enjoy that kind of change. There's more detailing on the bombs, so they look like they actually fire as a missile would as opposed to because uh, bombs on a helicopter, it always seems strange to me. Helicopters more sort of rocket attack gunship. I've never really seen helicopters being used in a conventional dumb bomb attack. Yeah, they generally load gunships with stuff like that, yeah. yeah. 
The wick is an interesting change, and I initially praised it because it looked like the thumb wheel was on the side, and it would make a lot of sense for the winch to then come out of the side, and that is praiseworthy. It's something short of the Eagle Hawk actually having a swing-out arm that you could catch a winch to, like real-world rescue pops would have. But the fact that the thumb wheel was on the side, and I imagine that the winch was also on the side, was a step in the right direction. Unfortunately, however, it seems like the cable still extends from the same place, that being the underside of the helicopter, and apparently it has a very short strength. So it's actually a sort of reduction of what we have with the Tomahawk, because at least on the Tomahawk, you can remove that unit altogether. Whereas with the Eagle Hawk, you're kind of stuck with having this dangling hook and not a great deal of strength and a great deal of play. And a lot of people contend that the thumb wheel is on site. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some modding there. I can see myself taking some of the rope that has come with those god-awful retaliation, grappling hook launches and repurposing them as a better winch cable for the Tomahawk. And when I have it in hand, I don't want to say anything now, but I want to see how far that turning wheel extends and maybe find a way to wrap the rope around that so that it can still bring lifeline stretcher or something on the side of the helicopter. So we'll see. I'd be very much in favor of that kind of mod pull. Yeah. Also, I don't think the rear engine has removable engine cables. And that's, you know, that's just sort of icing on the cake that is the original Tomahawk. Yeah. But it's sad that they didn't retain it. And lastly, uh, this is something that is an act that I have to grind with the Tomahawk. It doesn't have doors, right? They have the opportunity to correct this age-old problem and give it some kind of sliding door mechanism. But they didn't. And I suppose it's out of deference to the original and in order to keep a solidarity with the original. But to my mind, if you don't set out to surpass the original, the best you can hope to do is recreate it. Is to recreate it. To match it is to equal it. Sadly, it has, in my eyes, fallen short of matching the Tomahawk. And that, my friends, is why I will not be buying one. At least not unless it's staring me in the face. And I think to myself, well, you know what? I could do with another tan helicopter in my life. Exactly. And I think the thing is... To be able to help yourself, yeah. It's also not a matter of you have to make the decision on the split second. I mean, I'm sure that this thing's going to be available for at least six to eight months after its release. I know you can still pick up Sky Strikers now for between 24 and $30. And that was the last time I checked, which was two or three months ago. So it's not going to be... I think I paid $40 for one. Yes, no, no, we did. Yeah. Oh, uh... Mm. Well, in that case, I think I will hold fire on getting Eagle Hawk. The thing is, I think proof will be in the pudding, and ultimately, if Rob and I both get one, and we all manage to get in the same place, it'd be cool if we all had our, our hawks, our hawk, Eagle Hawk, and because then all of us could carry a Hilo independently. Mm. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. Yes. Incidentally, on the topic of new things on the horizon, has anybody received any new toys that are worth mentioning? <laughs> new old toys count. Yes, old new toys. New old toys count. Well, I have been swept up in this vintage fervor to the point where... I'm now trawling through second-hand stores in South Africa on the off chance of finding a spare loose show or two. Recently, I happened upon this terrific store. It's so cool, it just makes my heart sore. <laughs> it's called The Deer Hunter in Woodstock, Cape Town. And while the selection isn't great, the fact that it has vintage G.I. Joe toys live and in the flesh just kind of makes me a little bit giddy. I bet. I mean... It's it's true to say that the likelihood of finding G.I. Joe merchandise in Africa in this day and age, and that is to say vintage G.I. Joe merch, is extremely slim. It feels like I've just kind of hit the jackpots or found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. All the analogies you can throw at it, basically, for any, anything that is super, super rare. So I've made some modest finds, but... Yeah, like I say, I get a little bit dizzy if I am rewarded with finding what I set out to find, mm. because it's obviously happening more and more frequently. That said, 
They have a Tiger Pool, Tiger Shock, Swamp Masher, Pulverizer, Dark Ones, Debater, and Arctic Blast. Yeah. They also have the original Iron Grenadier, Mercer, Zandar, a Tiger Force Roadblock, a 1989 Rock and Roll, and bags and bags of loose accessories. So on my first outing, I bought the 1989 Rock and Roll because my Rock and Roll sadly had broken pegs on his leg. I mean, it was a rock and roll from my childhood, crying out loud. And he had his rifle, which catches to those pigs, which I had lost almost as soon as I had broken those pigs. And therein lies my new favorite hobby, and competing the vintage toys that I had as a child. I seldom felt as much satisfaction as I did when I took this newer rock and roll and swapped out the parts with my old one. So essentially now I'm still playing with my old rock and roll, but he's got all his accessories and the fixed eggs on the side of his leg. Uh, in addition to competing old rock, I got 1989 Scoops pistol, compete Rob's old favorite toy. Thank you. Childhood. Yay. And we completed the target, which is always missing his gold pistol, which uh, clips onto his arm. Yeah, and now I lost that card early. Yeah. I actually forgot it had it. So there's so much satisfaction to be had there, and like I said, they're modest finds. Very, very modest finds. But I felt more happy about making those finds than Seeing most, product. most every, yeah, most every modern era show that I've received in the post. Because these figures, historically meant something to me. Yeah, no, I get that. It's like me getting my hawk with a backpack. That's like a big thing for me. That's a toy I loved a bit as a kid. And having a heat viper back in my life is pretty awesome. So I get it. So glad you can appreciate this old poorly. Well, I kind of do the same thing in the sense that I like to find the old vehicles that I owned. That's why I got myself a bug, and that's why I've got a condor, a warthog, because I own those, and those are toys that I really missed, and having them back in my life is great. Mm. And now my vintage needs are starting to stack up a bit more, because I want to put vintage figures in them, actually. Aha! Uh-huh. Well, I'm going to paraphrase you from our previous episode. Mm. When I asked you if having the vintage version of a figure makes you want a modern era equivalent more or less, you said actually having a vintage toy kind of lessens your need for a modern era equivalent, because... You feel like you've ticked that box, yep. and it's adequately ticked. So even in spite of the figure being made in old-school plastic with the O-ring design that's held together by a rubber band and its limitations in terms of no double-jointed knees or wrist articulation, you feel like that figure is all the snow serpents or all the general hulk you feel you need. Yeah, exactly. The that's thing how is, I feel with the Tom Hawk. And, and that's the thing, though. The 25th anniversary really tried very hard to try and capture a lot of that original feel with their figures. And for some of the guys, they've done a really good job. And for others, they haven't. But that's just because of the time we live in. They're Frank and Jones. Yeah, they're Frank and Jones. That's exactly it. And that's why the figure subscription service very rarely appeals to me. Because I see the characters, I get excited. I get excited at the prospect of owning a cesspool. And I get excited at the prospect of owning a desert scorpion again. And then I see them, and I'm kind of like, uh Like, the biggest thing for me on the cesspool is that he doesn't have that cool embossed cobra on his chest. And he lacks a lot of the the things that made the original cesspool so awesome, and he doesn't feel like a good enough surrogate for me, if that makes any sense. It's true to say of the modern era figures, but underneath each figure's apparel and clothing and, and the items that distinguish them is a very basic, very dull, very bland face. Yes. And it makes it extremely easy for customization, but you're losing out on the fact that each G.I. Joe original figure required its own tooling, required its own special process to make it. Each individual part is individual to that figure. Mm. And that sense of majesty has kind of been lost a little bit. So yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm just going to be blowing the, the trumpet for, 
of the vintage no, all the way. That's why my head is my head is not exactly being blown back by modern era GI Joes. Which segues really nicely into our topic for this episode. Indeed, Attack of the Vintage and Attack on the Vintage, so to speak. <laughs> Okay, Robbie, I believe you're 84, aren't you, Rob? Yeah, the year that was chosen for me as the year of discussion of vintage Joes was 84. And first up of my three uh, venerable toys from the year is the... Shit, what was it again? Uh, it's... Oh, listeners, not even Rob knows, because... <laughs> he doesn't have a list. Paul and I are waiting with bated breath. Yeah, Rob. These are actually secrets. Seconds, seconds, seconds passed. The first would be the slugger, the uh, self-propelled cannon. Hmm. It's crap. What attracted you to the slugger, buddy? The vehicle itself, but also the driver, Thunder, who is pretty cool. As a vehicle driver, he looks awesome, and he's a redhead, and he comes with cool equipment, and his look is very, you know, it's mainly black with brown and sort of like a green vest. He has, like, a cool helmet thing that he wears, and he comes with a monocular. And I like the Slugger itself, because it's kind of like a very unique piece of equipment. Yeah, later on, you have the uh, the Thunderclap, which is kind of like a huge, sort of convoluted version of the Slugger, being a an artillery piece. And it feels very real-world. I think in, in one podcast, that was my favorite word, real-world. Um, real and it does. It, <laughs> it feels like a, a moving artillery piece. It just feels proper. And the fact that they included this cool thing that, that comes out the back... You know, it could kind of stabilize it when it does shoot. Yeah, it just looks real world. The coloring of it is very basic. It's not far out. There's no purple or neon green in there. All, all around, it just feels, it goes together really well. And it's, it's a piece that I think the G.I. Joes do need. It's not like another little Jeep. And in Brazil, it was known as the Artillaria Pesada, which I think means tank with a bow. cool name. <laughs> I must say, I'm initially quite surprised at your choice. Yeah, I'm also uh, surprised at both. Oh, things. interesting. Why are you surprised? Well, I will begin my onslaught by saying I do not own a slugger. Ah, oh, okay. So anything you don't own, that makes it not cool. No, but here's the rub. And this is perhaps the utility of this topic. And I'm basically going to be convincing myself why I either need a slugger or why I can do without the slugger. I think it has two main detractors almost right off the bat. Uh, the first is functionality. An artillery piece that has no side-to-side motion is problematic. You have to reposition by driving, basically. So I don't really think that's an issue. I mean, the fact that it's mobile and you can drive it around. Just turn a little to the left or to the right. And because the person who's driving at Thunder, I mean, he's this is what he's about. He's, he's going to position himself properly aims himself in the correct direction, you know, everything's chilled. Mm. But I, I see what you mean. You can't actually move it independent of its driving function. It's crewed by one, and it has no additional figure space. While I appreciate it's not an older personnel carrier, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more crew capacity. Yeah. I think and probably a lot of it is automated. It loads itself. Mm. It does okay, that sort of stuff. It's a, it's a sophisticated weapon, and that's why it's found its way onto the GI Joe team in the first place. My third criticism is... If you were to collect vehicles in and around that era, 82 to 84, the Jaguar vehicles use a very similar path without additional camouflage effects. The Slug is the first vehicle to break up that scheme. It does look slightly out of place and jars with the, the other established Jaguar equipment at that point. And I bring our attention to the Skyfall, Howitzer, the Manta, and then in previous years, the Wolverine, the Mobat, the Bamp. They did introduce a new color scheme in the desert scheme, the Vamp Mark II, and that being a nice uh, tan coloring. But all the GI Joe vehicles outside of the Vamp, up to that point, all retain the same green scheme. The Slugger looks at odds. In fact, I've always made 
the distinction as, as it looks like it's from another toy line. It looks kind of like core vehicles together. I think because the G.I. Joe team is not a standard military unit, the fact that all their vehicles aren't all the same colors isn't really an issue. If you think about the fact that they don't all wear the same uniform, yeah, the original 13 are all green, except Snack Eyes with black, which I think everyone knows. But, you know, they're all about in- <laughs> about individuality, and I don't think that's really an issue in your motor pool. I mean, after this, they started introducing lots of other vehicles with, with different color schemes, you know. It's still, it's in military colors. It doesn't have to be completely the same as everything else. I like the angled surfaces on it to try and give the impression that it is projectile resistant, yeah. uh, especially in the front of the vehicle. Unfortunately, though, every time I look at it, it looks like an APC with a boner. <laughs> I'm sorry. Also, that gun on the top, it doesn't have a lot of features. I like the, the fact that it has that support at the back of it to support that big boner cannon, but it's got a cool 50, cal- it's got a cool mounted 50 cal, but there's nobody to really use it. And it doesn't look like there's any space for somebody to sit and use it. So how is that operated? And that's weird for me because it's like he's either sitting in it and shooting people or driving in it and blowing people up. I do agree Look, with... I think this thing would not, it would not fire while driving. No. That's the distinction between a self-propelled cannon and a tank. I mean, this thing is designed to drive to a location, and get dug in, and start letting rip with um, <clears throat> artillery fire. It's not my favorite piece, but some notable mentions about it is it is in the in the intro to the Sunbow cartoon, but you never actually see it in the show, which I thought was kind of odd. Oh. When I, I'm looking at it now, and I'm kind of like, the more I look at it, the more I think it looks like a moon buggy. And, and that just throws me off a little bit. I appreciate the simple stylings to a point, and I, I can sort of see the warthog coming from this in a weird way, but it's not a winner for me. I'm sorry, Rob. I think there are other offerings in this year that are much, much better than the Slugger, but if you've got a place in your heart for it, then, you know, that's cool. Would you buy one? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'm not actually sure, because, like, I, I like the vehicle, but I like the driver more. I like the driver quite a bit myself. The driver is just superior. I mean, this guy looks incredible, and it just turns my stomach and fuels my point with the modern era figures as to how wholly inadequate the Rise of Cobra Sergeant Thunderblast was. Redhead Redhead Hawk clone. (laughs) It was horrible. And if you look at exactly how fine the subject material that formed that Godawful figure was, you just shrug your shoulders. I mean, the original Thunder figure from 1984 is a thing of beauty. And the fact that he was a driver of an obscure vehicle like the Slugger just astounds me. Yeah, it's crazy. They put so much effort into it. Mm, such fantastic design and unique parts and extremely tasteful coloring. I suppose it's, it's why Slugger, um, and this is also just something to mention here, the Slugger is a, a mail-away vehicle, and it was also later uh, released without that camera pattern. And I think maybe Hasbro Well, felt... Stephen would like that one. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the reason I raised that point. The other thing is, though, I think Hasbro kind of knew that this wasn't really going to be a winner. I think this was meant to be a, a space filler. I don't think that the Slugger competes against any of the other vehicles released in this year. Maybe against the Chameleon. But there's a lot of stuff released in this year that is, I have to say, 84 is an amazing year for vehicles. And the Slugger, just for me, just doesn't compare to the rest. And that's why it's also it's a bit of a downer. It's like, I wouldn't really miss it if it wasn't in my collection. You say that, Paul, and yet... Up till this point, G.I. Joe had its main battle tank. It had a missile firing tank. Mm. It had a, a jeep. It had various fixed artillery pieces or total artillery pieces. 
but it had a glaring hole, and that was a self-propelled artillery cannon. Yeah, the ballistic artillery, exactly. No, I get that, but it also has other holes in it as well. You said it best when you said the slugger looked like an ABC with a boner because it could have been, it could have gone either way. It could have been a precursor to the warthog, but yeah. <laughs> it stuck a boner in it. Boom. Boom. <laughs> All right, Robbie. Another choice from the ear. The only hot evil bitch in the whole of Jojo is Baroness. Thank God. <laughs> and yeah. she is a pretty hot figure. I mean, even though, you know, Back then, it was very difficult to sort of get out of the, the generic mold that all of the Joes have. When they did produce a female character, they weren't always complete dogs. And Baroness is definitely not one of the dogs. She is very hot. <laughs> and just, the, yeah, it's like the tooling is very nice. That sort of one-piece leather outfit she wears is very appealing. She's intelligent, she's Cobra, she's an officer. She's very awesome. Even though it's an 84 figure, I mean, they somehow managed to make her look feminine. They gave her some nice hair, a beautiful symbol, you know, on her chest. I think she's a cool figure, and very basic accessories, obviously, a laser rifle and a black backpack. But she doesn't really need a lot to make her stand out. Paul, do you want to have a swipe at this figure? I so totally do. Swipe Firstly, Rob, away, Paul. I just want to start off with crap. She's crap. Totally crap. No, I'm kidding. Wow. Um, no. Yeah, wouldn't get her at all. <laughs> Not if you paid me. If there was, if there's one figure from this entire year that I would own, if I was told that I could only buy one figure from this whole year, it would be the Baroness. It's Storm Shadow. No, no. <laughs> Close. But it would be the Baroness. Because, for starters, she is one of four women produced in the line up until all in this decade. One of four. One of five women, actually. And I she... think Paul misread the topic again, Rob. No, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm getting uh... Hold on. He needs to start his critique with like a flowing, <laughs> flowing preface. What he said. <laughs> I, I said crap, 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 crap. Hold crap. on, I'm getting in there. Okay, this is my issue with her, <laughs> with this Baroness, and it's been a major issue of mine. It's actually something that's quite a deterrent, especially when I see her online for three hundred dollars. She only comes with a fucking laser rifle. Camel toe. No, she doesn't have one of those, which would make me buy it more, maybe. But wow. my problem with it is she only comes with a laser rifle and a backpack. There are other figures in the line, like Zartan, in, from this year, that has a backpack that opens. Okay? He's got a color-changing feature. Baroness, being a unique character in the line, could have come with more. She could have come with a pistol. She could have come with just some additional accessories just to make the figure more alluring. I mean, this is a time when gold figures weren't selling that well. That's why we don't have Baroness re-released as a vintage. The only vintage Baroness. She's kind of like a victim of her own success. She's great as a character, didn't do well as a toy, and Hasbro didn't do anything else to her to make her more appealing to a toy buyer. I'm sure most boys who actually got her might have gotten her from their parents who thought maybe they were having some kind of weird, you know, sexual orientation issues. Oh, so that's what you're going to do, give them a hot bitch in leather. Exactly, you know, yeah. just set that shit right. She is cool. I... She <laughs> I still see a lot of man in her sculpt, which bugs me a little. I understand well, technology that... wasn't there to maybe make the arms thinner, but I mean, they could have given this woman a nicer bum. And it, it well, just... if you see her profile, I mean, she's, she's quite racked. You know, check yeah. her profile over. And she's got, you know, she's like... got a good rack. <laughs> yeah, and she's got like, no boobs. I mean, like, I look at her bum and I see a flat surface and I... it says, made in Hong Kong. You know? <laughs> And I'm all but like, look from the side, if there was any part of it that they didn't customize from the man figures, mm. this is probably her sort of like crotch region. Yes, and her arms. Her and her arms. arms. So She's manly. very manly arms. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, uh, Stephen in a conversation recently praised 
vintage Joes were often, um, you know, they're all about the same height, but, you know, there's certain features that they kind of customized, like Mercer has giant muscle arms, but uh, someone else has very thin stick arms, but she's very padded in the arms. I also think that's not appropriate. Roadblock, Roadblock version one has very thin stick arms. I really think Baroness, as a figure, could have just benefited from them doing something interesting with the backpack, you know, or... Just giving her yeah, some. Yeah, just give her of, another point of interest. Yeah, and that yeah. is my biggest gripe with the toy. It's, it's like a laser gun and a backpack, and it's like, huh. <laughs> it's also my gripe <laughs> with the boxed version of the modern era, that blue Baroness with the green glasses. She also it comes with like shit all. She comes with a gun. Whoopee. It's just disappointing, that's all. It's just such a, an amazing character in G.I. Joe Mythos, and I just feel that she's very badly handled as a toy, but I know, understandably, with the whole um, topic and everything, I can rip up everything on this figure but her face sculpt. I think her face sculpt is fantastic. But this is also coming from somebody who doesn't have one in hand. So from all the pictures I've seen, I think her face sculpt is fantastic. And that's one thing, I'm sorry, I can't knock down. But I have my issues. I mean, it lacks paint apps. She could have had red Cobra sigils on her gauntlets. They could have put a little bit of silver on the parts that keep her armor up. Just little things like that. But they gave those paint apps to Falcon later on in the line. Yeah, they wasted, you know, they saved it. They're like, shit, we missed an opportunity. Falcon have extra. <laughs> <laughs> also, she probably can't turn her head. No, she cannot. Yeah. And that's kind of... I do. Okay. She doesn't have to. Fantastic. Here comes my glowing criticism. Here comes the rain. Whoa. Yeah. I love, love, love this figure. But if you're out there, you don't have a Baroness, and you're considering whether or not to drop major dollar on the vintage, consider this. Consider the place of vintage toys in your life. Because there is... In fact, and I will make this admission, and you can quote me back to me if you want to. Yes. But in 2009, in a Cobra Forces box set, they produced the ultimate Baroness ever. Agreed. She is this version, version one, the classic look, the black leather, but they've slimmed down her waist. They've given her more petite feminine arms. She has the most incredible booty. (laughs) They have given it slight washes in places, because, you know, a booty needs a wash. (laughs) Wash. No, seriously, no, her belt has a little bit of paint wash on it. She's completely made up of original parts. And that in the 25th or modern era sculpt era is unique. It's something that they do not do very often. A lot of love was put into this figure, and I recommend her to any fan of G.I. Joe if you do not own either of these versions. I would say that the biggest criticism with version 1 1984 Baroness is the presence of 2009's Baroness from the box set. That's a good point. I agree with that. <laughs> that, to be honest, is the only point, point that I'm prepared to level with this figure because I, as I say, absolutely adore her. I think her weapon is an interesting choice. It entrenches her as a sniper, which is interesting because typically you see Baroness doing undercover work, covert work with really small arms like an Uzi or a pistol, taking a hostage or something. But the fact that she comes with a sniper rifle gives her something, gives her a new facet to her character that you can play out and embellish upon in your own ventures. So I do not share your criticism, Paul, about her accessories being inadequate. I think her uniqueness as a figure and her appeal as a unique character mean that her accessories are almost irrelevant. She could come with nothing. She could come completely just her in black leather. I mean, let's face the facts. She's a woman within the Cobra hierarchy, quite high up on the totem pole. Her real... Very high up on that pole. Exactly. <laughs> Her true weapon is the fact that she is the only woman with proximity to Destro, the Cobra Commander, and all the other Cobra higher-ups. 
She's a confidant. She is a tool. She is sex. Daytime was really interesting when Baroness arrived in jail. <laughs> but you see, Rob, now you know. All she needed as an accessory is a hostage. <laughs> but <laughs> exactly. But jokes aside, she's got the arms for it. <laughs> in the Sunbow or Sunbow cartoon, she has quite a big role as a master of disguise as well. And I think it would have been cool had she come with an additional face like Hazatan had. You know, like a. You use the same gimmick twice in the same year. It would be interesting because yes. both of those characters in the show use the same gimmick. I think that would have created cohesion within the line. Could have come with the same backpack too. Yeah, shit, they could have saved money then. I mean, Hasbro's good at that. I think... Yeah, reusing. But Steven does make a very good point. That Baroness herself, as a figurine, has always had the benefits of having unique pieces. The one that he was saying now, the 2009 Cobra Box set Baroness is a superb figure. She's still the best Baroness that they've released to date, barring the possible one that comes with Ravage, so we'll see. But my greatest criticism is I still think she should have come with more accessories or more kind of gimmicks or something to make her a more appealing figure in that line. And I think if Hasbro had done that, we may have seen better sales on female figures. Cool, Robbie. What's number one? The number one toy that I think anyone should own from 1984 is... Well, it's... I think <laughs> it's the only one that I own from this year. is <laughs> the Killer Whale Hovercraft. Oh, yeah. Could have predicted that. I was well, thinking you were going to say Firefly, but, you know. It was between Firefly and the whale, but what I had to go with something. Yeah, Rattler as well, but I don't really own the original Rattler, so I had to go with something that I own, because at least now I can actually talk from real-world experience. experience. Yeah. And, yeah, the warrior hovering assault launching envoy is it's very cool. It's got so much play to it. You you want to play with this, you want to move it around. It rolls around on those wheels really nicely and kind of replicates the actual effect of when you see something hovering. Because I think the wheels, the, the way that they move, it kind of gives you that idea that it moves like a hovercraft. You know, you're not sure it's going to move properly forward, which is kind of cool. <laughs> That's a plus for me, you know, because the wheels aren't locked in the forward position, they kind of move around. Yeah, so it kind of reproduces that, that feeling of when you see those the real-world hovercrafts sort of moving. They, make, they glide. They're moving forward, but sort of uncertainly. And it comes with a nice assortment of things to play with. Mines and a, a little bike. And it comes with a little thing you shoot out that you can go on the waves with. And it comes with a, a really cool driver, cutter. Dipper. And it kind of maintains the color scheme of many of the other Joe vehicles that they produced at the time. This sort of olive green. So it fits in very nicely with Joe armaments. It matches everything else that's come out, so it looks like it belongs. It comes with little finicky parts and stuff, but it just adds to the dimensions of the vehicle. The little spinning blades, the little fins at the back that they can move. And overall, it's just brilliant. Lovely troop capacity, guns. You can put so many figures on this thing, and it just makes it more fun to play with. The first thing that comes to mind with anyone wanting to get their hands on a whale is the rather prohibitive cost. No. You had to bring that up. <laughs> there are pricey vintage toys, and then there are pricier vintage toys, and then there are vintage toys that are just getting a little bit out of hand. Whale and you're saying the whale is one of those? I think mm-hmm. it is one of the Holy Grail vehicles, and I am excluding enormous items that are just unrealistically large for the 
average casual collector to afford. The whale is probably one of the most pricey items that, that you'd likely to find tracked down. And that's because it hasn't seen often re-release. I think apart from its initial release, it was on Mail Away in 1993, and that version did not come with a cutter, as far as I can recall. And it's got some fragile parts that make up the rear section. And of course, by buying one that has those parts omitted or broken, you could shave off $30, $40, $50 from the price, depending on the kind of condition the rest of the hovercraft is in. In order to enjoy a well in its full splendor, you need it quite close to mint, and that's going to hurt your pockets quite considerably. Agreed. You've had experience with this having bought two. Yes, I have bought two. In one one. Uh, and I got lucky with both, and yet not without having to give it some additional TLC. The connections between the rocket box and the vessel are pretty weak, and, and to my mind a real failing of the toy. They're a bit substandard compared to the quality of the rest of it. I don't see them as conceivable real-world mechanisms. You've got this strange L-shaped bar that the rocket box sits on top of, and there are only three rather frail prongs that clip the box onto its bar. So that's one criticism. Another is it's very features-heavy, and some of those features count against its favor. I think the nose-firing sea sled, while a fun feature for a child... For the adult collector who wants his whale to be more of an amphibious landing craft, compared to the inside capacity of the vessel, you can fit fewer troops as a result. I think that's probably a personal opinion. I think it, it fits enough figures in there. I think it's a personal opinion that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we all share. But it's a shame that they didn't carve up a little bit more of the hovercraft's interior. Because, you know, you could land four reasonably well-equipped troops using the, the web. But given its large size, to my mind, it's a waste for it to not be able to land at least six. Oh, I'd say eight would be a better number. And it's got the volume to store eight. It's just not configured to store eight. Yeah. And that's yeah. with the whale. I mean, one could go way into the realm of wish fulfillment and say, well, if it was slightly bigger, you could park a vamp in there. Or if it was bigger still, you could park a Mobat in there. Or if it was even bigger, you could park a Warthog in there. Or a Warthog, a Vamp, and a Mobat. I mean, you put, put a flag in there. You can put a Slugger in there and give it a boner. You're then approaching the LCAV, which is a, a hovercraft, which is just a gigantic flatbed that you can, I think, put two Abrams tanks and two Humvees. Wow. That gives you an idea of, of its capacity. And that's kind of what the whale was, was evoking. Yeah. But it's a smaller scale hovercraft, which is armed to the teeth. Yeah, for a team that deploys smaller groups of troops. Hmm. Yeah, they're a special missions group. You know, it's not about deploying an army into a position. It's about oh, yes, sending a yes. couple of highly trained individuals and having them get the job done. I think that is my sole criticism of the whale, because it is sublime. This is a very good Brilliant. choice. So we're encouraging everyone to get it. Just be careful of the cost. Yes, I lied. I think I have another criticism. The whale, whale for me, is perhaps the most exquisite item of my collection that sees the least use. Because to find a scenario that requires a hovercraft is rare. Hovercrafts are not deep seagoing vessels, even though the comic tried to make them out to be. They basically are runabouts. They're used to ferry troops equipment from a larger vessel onto shore and perhaps a little bit further onto the shoreline, hence the, uh, the hovering feature of the hovercraft. So that said, their function is very narrowed, and they got a hell of a lot of exposure in the cartoon and comic book. But in my own playtime with these vehicles, I've had to go quite far out of my way to implement the hovercraft. 
And if that's you also have a personal preference. You prefer helicopters. That's, that's not sort of like a thing that most people would be on about. You have this amazing vehicle. Just play with it. It's so much fun. It's just cool. Damn thinking of real-world applications and all right, let's go from a huge ship. It's a lot of fun. Can't deny it. Okay. So people well, have so much fun with this vehicle. Here's my point. If you're out there and you have cobbled together a little bit of disposable income and you want to make a G.I. Joe or vintage G.I. Joe vehicle purchase, do you go for A, the Tomahawk, or B, the oh, Whale? Helicopters. Yeah, tell us, listen. Helicopters is for... Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> because many of my criticisms mirror Stevens in the sense that the biggest thing that stopped me from getting a whale is the cost of the damn thing. I've very seldom come across a really good condition whale for under $300 for starters. It needs a lot of TLC. More often than not, if you do manage to get like a fairly good specimen, you have to go and get the fins, which are impossible because most of the time they're broken. It's a very fragile toy, unfortunately, considering how cool the toy is. I don't really want to knock the whale too much, but the things that I would knock it on are the same as Stevens. It's very expensive. It's very difficult to get your hands on. It's very fragile. It breaks easily. I understand where he's coming from in terms of employing a scenario where one would use it. I get that. That's not too much of a gripe for me because they're toys and it's from a fictional show where we can actually pretty much make up the rules. The play feature of the little vehicle popping out the front, the troop capacity, that is something. It's difficult for me. I wrestle with this kind of opinion a few times with myself because, yes, on the one hand, I would love that I could carry more troops, but I also really love the fact that it shoots out the little scouting vehicle. But at the same time... The scouting vehicle is really limited to what, like, it shoots it into a river. And, you know, you can come up with a few cool scenarios. But the idea of, like, having eight Joes running out of that thing is really cool. It's a great one for me. And a big one that nobody's mentioned, and I know that Steve won't really go here. For as much fanboy love that the whale gets, it's probably one of the vehicles that we'll never, ever see re-released or modernized because of all of its finicky bits. It will be the biggest disappointment if they do a re-release of the toy, which furthers the fact that it's going to be rare and expensive and it's going to continue to get rarer and more expensive as years go by. And that is a bit of a damaging point because it is one of the best toys in this line. In fact, I think it's the best toy of 84. So kudos to you on choosing that, Rob, but those are my complaints. I'm not so worried about some of the finer points, but fragile, expensive, and we won't see a modern reproduction of it are my three biggest issues. Yeah. Yeah. I would echo you there, Paul. My third criticism is function-wise, it's quite limited. Definitely. It's beautiful, but it's, it's very limited use. The next year under consideration is 1985, and the selections from this year are Paul's. I would love to have been a teenager in 1985, primarily because I think 1985 is one of the best years for G.I. Joe. It's one of the points where G.I. Joe is sort of reaching the pinnacle of its fandom and of its excitement. It started off as green figures, and then it evolved into some interesting characters, as we'd seen in 84's line, and some really fantastic vehicles that mirrored real-world vehicles in quite a close regard. But we didn't have a lot of the colorful specialities that G.I. Joe line encompasses. So... Just to give you an example, this is one of the years where the freaks started coming out. For example, Airtight, the Dreadnoughts make a much bigger appearance in the form of Ripper and Buzzer. We got Lady J, Torch. another female figure, and Torch, yeah. We got one of the most frequently seen vipers in the show, which is a televiper. We get some of G.I. Joe specialists, Alpine, Barbecue, Dusty. We get a great character in the form of Flint. So, all in all, one of the best years in terms of variety and color for the line, and not to mention one of the best years in vehicles. Which brings me to number three in my selection. This wasn't easy, because there are a lot of toys in this line, especially this line that I love. I think Hasbro kind of knew exactly what its fans wanted and provided, actually. And that's why 
for me, it's going to start with Crimson Guards. Crimson Guardsmen, as many G.I. Joe fans know, are one of the backbones of Cobra. They, the accountants and lawyers who um, manipulate all of Cobra's funding and make a lot of headway for Cobra on a political front, and then have this double life of being a an elite trooper. And elite trooper in Cobra fraternity says a lot, because we have other specialities like the eels and the snow serpents in this line, and they go into detail how much they have to go through for this. And the Crimson Gods are like the elite, so we have our first real elite soldier in G.I. Joe. So it's not just a Cobra trooper anymore, it's a Crimson God. And a Crimson God is higher up on the food chain. Also, a toy that when I first saw it, I fell in love with it. Crimson Gods are beautiful. They're beautiful figures. They've got a great color scheme. Very straightforward. This weird kind of pinky red. Good touches on little parts of them. For example, they've got their rank insignia. They've got the Cobra insignia on the chest. The double belt. They've got a Special Forces logo on the left arm. These guys just look great. And they have the best masks. They're probably my second favorite next to an Iron Grenadier in terms of their mask design. For the longest time as a kid, I thought they were robots <laughs> because I never saw their heads until I saw the G.I. Joe movie and Pythona used the spores and then the guy rips his masks off. It's got a very cool backpack. It's also got a very cool rifle. The rifle's an upgrade from the standard um, Dragonhawk that the Cobra Troopers carry. It's got a bayonet. kind of says these guys mean business. All in all, one of my favorite toys from 1985. And a crucial part of any G.I. Joe collector's collection and Cobra Army, whether you have one or 30. You know, and one of the Crimson Guardsmen, didn't they, they eventually became Cobra Commander for a while, wasn't it? Fred? That's correct, the Fred series, the exactly. clones. So these guys, an ambition, which is good. I think it's a good choice. Equipment-wise, he doesn't come with much. That weird little red backpack, which is a bright red compared to the rest of him. Cool <laughs> rifle. I already can't think of anything bad to say about it, but I'm sure Steve will. Yeah, it's a bit too red. Um, you know, Cobra's color is blue, uh... For the Cobra Elite Trooper to be red, it's kind of stupid. But you see, that's why they stand out. They stand out from, from the rest. The Cobra symbol itself is red, and mm-hmm. we've had enough blue. You know, the initial troops were all blue, Cobra Commander's blue. I think having them be red just complements the rest of, of the troops. You know? It also evokes Return of the Jedi when we see the Crimson Guardsmen that protect yes, Emperor Palpatine. Emperor. I think they were a great influence on G.I. Joe. The red uniform it definitely evokes this higher elite status, and it's also why I own a sideshow Crimson Guard to protect my Cobra Commander as well. Because you have to understand, like, Cobra Commander trusts nobody, and he would let these guys very close to him, and it's finally in 85, we get this elite Cobra Trooper that's a lawyer by day, causing all kinds of financial crisis, so Cobra can make pterodromes and stuff that we all see. just put your head. finger on it, man. The biggest criticism I have with the Crimson Guard is that there shouldn't be a figure of the Crimson Guard at all. It should be extremely rare that these guys ever put on their uniforms. They are Cobra's usurpers. <laughs> they go into normal society and take it over from the inside. The fact that they're wearing their uniform at all tells me that they've failed in their mission. So the presence of this figure in the line is an admission of failure. We should have gotten a guy in a suit, is what I'm saying. <laughs> I think a guy in a suit, a Fred figure would be cool and would have been a great compliment. Possibly would have been a great suit. peg warmer. Great um, peg it would have been interesting, but I mean, here you've got the guys that are closest to Cobra Commander that protect Cobra Commander from other Vipers. I mean, that says that they're pretty badass, handpicked by Cobra Commander as well. And also they serve under the twins as well, the Crimson Twins. So their function is actually bodyguard. Yeah, they protect. What's they, with this, uh, you know, each of them has a degree in law or accounting? Well, that's another, that? that's another form of protection. You see, they lead these double lives. A lot of the other troopers are guys that are like, they're either ex-military or bums on the street or people that feel disgruntled. But 
don't quite have the sort of intellectual capacity to run money laundering schemes and that kind of thing. And Cobra needs those kind of people. Those are like your upper echelon. Those other guys are grunts and they can die. They might be expendable. And at the same time, they could betray you. Whereas these guys, you know that they, they're safe. They do all of this stuff. They know a lot of the paperwork. They appear at the Cobra like sort of underground events where they plan major takeovers. I mean, this is a pivotal character. If you look at this whole year, there's a lot of very important figures released in this year. I think the Crimson God's definitely one of the most important because it serves to show that Cobra has a ranks, that it has higher ranks. It's something that's similar to like a colonel or that kind of side, you know? It's not quite a, a character with character like Firefly or Zartan, but it's a character that, for the lack of being a character, is important. I think you could imbue a Crimson God with character. Mm. Really, my, my major criticism of the Crimson God, because... My first one was actually quite whimsical. I mean, no one would ever buy a lawyer, I guess. My real criticism is the fact that I do not have one. Uh. I will never have one. Because why? Because this figure is so sought after by yeah. those bastard army builders. The maximum number anyone should ever have of Crimson Guards I mean, is two. It should be like the bloody Sith Lords. Yes. You know? They should be like a two or five. Yeah. Never more than two. Because these guys are that badass. An abundance of Crimson Guards in anyone's collection is a mistake. Just spread the love and give me a goddamn prison god. Please. I agree with you. I agree with that. I agree that that should be kept to a minimal number. Good crit. Because there's a boy in South Africa who really needs one. <laughs> so you. that's not really a criticism of the toy. You actually have no criticisms of it. Oh, First, sadly, you, you, know, you, no. you attack basically the, the falcon. Ha, 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 You're like, oh, yeah. the description I, doesn't actually fit. I don't, I don't like the sculpting of his sidearm. I've got a problem with uh, a figure holstering a gun on the left, as do I have a problem with the figure having a weird, is it a shotgun, is it a revolver, it's a weird gun, and not something that I would imagine with the Cobra Elite Trooper. I would think something more dependable and German, perhaps. Ah, So you just hate left-handed people, is what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Paul, I hate you. (laughs) You're going to go on eBay and look up a Crimson God now. (laughs) Well, you're going to see... The kind of prices he fetches, and mm-hmm. he's pretty premium. I'd say a good crimson guard with paint apps that are not worn. That's another thing. He's got a lot of silver paint. Silver paint is notorious for wearing, for wearing off. But the chest symbol, all his uh, medals and pauldrons, epaulets, the roping, all that stuff. All that silver, the belt buckles. Yeah, you're going to struggle, my friend. He's not a very That's robust figure in that regard. we have our own paints. We can just fix it up ourselves. Haha. And steady hands. This is a toy I've wanted ever since I saw it. I opened Mark Bellamo's book, and to my disbelief, I saw this toy, and I couldn't believe that this actually existed. Okay, I never knew that this existed. I never knew that they would make this toy. And I'm, of course, referring to the USS flag. I know that you guys might have been expecting a moray, but the thing is, the USS flag is the biggest toy ever produced for a toy line, ever. And it hasn't even been surpassed. It's a playset and a vehicle at the same time. It can hold multiple vehicles on top of its deck. Every time I see this thing being displayed, either um, if it's Stevens on his blog, if it's by Hasbro at San Diego Comic Con with a whole bunch of 
even with modern era Joes rushing on it, I'm like, I gotta get one of these. And it kills me that I don't have a USS flag. It's something I really, really, really want. It's massive. I understand that there are some negative points to it, but I have to say that in all the years that I've seen these around, since I picked up Mark Bellamo's book, they don't seem to fluctuate too terribly in price. A lot of dealers tend to have them. And if I ever come to the States for any reason, I think I'll definitely make a trek through to Kokomo to get one of these. The USS flag is just, it's a beautiful toy. It's a piece of toy history. It's a piece of G.I. Joe history. And, and a lot of attention to detail was put into it. Things like your deck crew vehicles, fuel trucks to taxi the Sky Strikers out. It's fantastic. Kill Hall himself, uh, as admitted by Stephen recently, is a figure that was much overlooked as part of the scenery, but has actually, upon closer inspection, has actually revealed itself to be a really beautiful toy. The hokey sound system is just so cool. And every time I see a picture of one of these things next to it, like a, a human being, I can't believe how big it is. And I want one. I think it's fair to say that anyone calling themselves a G.I. Joe fan, at least hypothetically, wants one. But we're about to get into the reasons why you should not get one. Probably the most obvious thing is what is going to be so difficult for anyone to get this thing. It is so expensive. I just remember Stephen telling me how much he paid for this thing, and I was floored. Like, I was on the floor. I spent the same amount on my car. Exactly. You could buy a car instead of buying this. So that's, like, the really the biggest thing. And I think trying to find a complete one that isn't damaged is also very delicate. I mean, there's lots of pieces to this thing. And because it's such an old toy, putting it together, taking it apart, will put a lot of stress on all those pieces. And the more you do that, the more likely it is you're going to damage it. And the fact is that you, unless you have a, a proper dedicated space for this thing, you, you will be forced to have to do that take it apart, put it back together. Because it is really gigantic. You can lie down next to this thing. If, if it was stronger, you could probably sleep on it. Obviously, living here in South Africa, it makes it much harder to get one of these things um, in your hands. It also requires significant collection space to keep one. It does, however, serve a dual feature of not just being a collectible showpiece, but a great place to keep other collectibles, other Joe collectibles. For example, you can keep Sky Strikers on the deck, you can keep your whale inside it. In fact, I think you can keep... No, Paul, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, man. The only reason I could put a whale underneath the flag is by raising the deck struts. Okay. The trusses that the deck sits upon, if you double oh. their height... By so that's placing a customization them, of your own. It is indeed. The flag, as it stands, is a rather awkward setup. It's a deck that sits rather precariously upon these trusses, this spine, this sort of structure of basically scaffolding, which kind of throws away any kind of play environment that you might have beneath the deck. So it doesn't have a hull. It's got a gigantic plastic strap that kind of seals it on one side so that I suppose they could take effective photographs of the flag and it wouldn't give away its glaring flaws. But if they ever shot it from the other angle, you'd see these dark recesses of nothingness. Half the, the tower is not there. That's a big criticism. Yeah, but that's something that's uh, that's quite prominent in, for example, dollhouses and all that. I mean, Yeah, it's a very Castle Grayskull kind of setup. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, without it, the hinge. I had to get a flag because of its historical importance. And definitely. perhaps because there are some bragging rights to be had there. I am pretty certain that it's the only flag specimen in South Africa or Southern Africa, or possibly even Africa. I don't know. Maybe there's an oil sheik in Morocco who uh, <laughs> insisted he had a flag. <laughs> it's important from that perspective. If I ever decide to start up a toy museum, 
But because of its vast size and the fact that it has no way of moving from point A to point B, even when it is assembled, because of course the hull has no base and most definitely no wheels upon yeah. which it might roll, you're going to have to kind of set it up in a place where it can stack. Mm. And that's just a consideration that relatively few of us can indulge in. And I'm afraid the Admiral's launch is not very praiseworthy. There are items on the flag which, of necessity, had to be cut corners. Had to be like, we're just going to go balls to the wall to give this thing as many features as possible and not really think these features through. There are things that don't make a great deal of sense, like the crane, which I don't conceivably have a use for. Mm. Its hook doesn't really attach to anything that I would fish out of the water. The whale would look silly being fished onto the deck. The shark, which would look less silly being fished onto the deck, has no way of hooking up. So there's some of that synergy missing flag. That said, it interacts nicely with the Sky Strike, and those are the two vehicles that are most closely married. Everything else is a kind of square peg round pole fit, but the Sky Striker and Flag were meant to go together. Okay. That said, the Sky Striker's wingspan makes it an extremely tight fit. I'd say if you were an enterprising mind, you could make do with converting a coffee table into a, a flag deck for display purposes. If you wanted to display your Sky Striker feet, you could paint up a plastic or wooden table and save yourself a lot of money and have analogous fun to the kind of fun that you would have with a flag. But... If you're a true Joe Collector, you should have one. A true Joe Collector with money to burn. Yeah. Yeah. I bought the flag when my priorities were rather different to the priority that I have now. It was perhaps the only window of opportunity in my life where I could effectively afford a flag. And I went through that window. Defenestrated. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful for this item, but I don't think I have or will ever get my full enjoyment out of it as an adult now, as I would have if I had it as a child. I mean, this would be the center of my toy universe. And in many regards, nowadays, it is. But the considerations that I have in putting it together are so high. For the most part, my car size investment hangs out in the cupboard. (laughs) But listeners, if these are arguments that do not find any favor with you, and if you've got the money, I'd say the flag just as a piece of history. If you're the ultimate Joe fan, you can't really lay claim to that title until you have really considered finding this piece and adding it to your collection. My final and absolute favorite pick of 1985. I am very sure that Rob and Steve both know who I'm going to mention. Um, it isn't a vehicle. It is something that's very close to my heart. And wait for it, 1985 Snake Eyes. Yeah, you can't ignore it. I was caught by surprise with the Crimson Guard, but there were no surprises in the flag and snack guys for me. I toyed with the idea of maybe not choosing those to maybe come across as a little bit less obvious in my decision, but I couldn't ignore it. This toy has probably been the centerpiece of my G.I. Joe collecting love. The one thing that's kept my G.I. Joe passion going for as long as it has, because when I was young, say around 10 years old, my friend David and I, who I mentioned quite a bit in the show, he has a fantastic collection of Joes such as the Crimson Guard, Snow Serpents, and some of the other fantastic pieces from 1985 onwards. Although, a big figure for him, which was very difficult for him to get in his youth, was the Snake Eyes. And it very quickly became the unicorn of our collection. So, it's a figure that, for pretty much my entire G.I. Joe collection, I have been going for, (laughs) in a weird way, but not actually actively going for the toy. It's just always kept my hope alive for G.I. Joe. 
It also happens to be the most definitive representation of Snake Eyes. Often when, if you ask a comic artist who has never even done a comic page for G.I. Joe in his life, but maybe grew up as a fan, you ask him to do a quick sketch of Snake Eyes, he will most likely draw something that represents version 2, 1985 Snake Eyes. The visor, the black suit, the grenades around him on the bandolier. He comes with timber, also another popular device in G.I. Joe. Um, he's got this, you know, wolf sidekick. He's got a backpack where you fit the sword in, which is a very, very cool feature. He's got his classic Uzi. Snake Eyes doesn't need gimmicks because in a lot of ways as a toy he is a gimmick he is a MacGuffin in the G.I. Joe line Snake Eyes is always used as the great guy to come and save things he's very um, mysterious and the figure does also exude an air of mystery for some reason Snake Eyes still remains very popular despite having not really had much of an appearance in the cartoon and I think that's kind of odd but I do think that this is the best figure and if you only had to get one figure from 1985 it would have to be the Snake Eyes and it is definitely that for me if I have to give him one crit I don't love his sword but I also love the fact that the sword itself is very unusual it's more of a Falcoin as opposed to a katana, which uh, would have made him too similar to Storm Shadow, so I'm grateful that they didn't kind of make him a generic G.I. Joe Storm Shadow. This would definitely be the ultimate Snake Eyes. I have the 1989 Snake Eyes. He's very cool, but in many ways, he kind of starts to get a bit gimmicky with his sort of like blades on his chest. This is the classic, if I think of Snake Eyes, this is definitely the one that I see when I, when I go to sleep at night. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I can't think of anything wrong. I mean, it's an all-black figure, but he has the grey accent. He has sort of like a silvery white thing on his, his you know, his wrist. wrist um, and he's got enough details in him that makes him not just a plain black figure, kind of like Baroness in a way was. But his, there's lots of details in, in the black, which I think is quite cool, pouches and stuff. The, the sword as well is a bit weird. It's not like a proper like ninja sword, but otherwise I think it's really cool. Probably my only criticism is probably Timber. He just, he looks weird, way vicious. He has no articulation. <laughs> I fell in love with the concept of this snake eyes. When David explained him to me, he said he comes with a wolf and he's got a visor across his eyes and they're not goggles. And the sort of ideas that came <laughs> into my head, and when I actually saw him, it didn't disappoint me. It's still to this day, every time I look at this figure, I'm so in love with the design on the snake eyes. <sighs> yeah, I'd love to own this guy. You're right about Timber though. Jeez, he looks way vicious. Like a, four-legged piranha of evil. And he has no articulation. That's a problem. Oh, uh, that didn't bug me. Well, he's a farm animal. My problem with Timber is, and sadly, Timber's the, the one that really gets the flack in this viewer, paint apps. They're he's on got yeah. such fantastic sculpting. The detailing is outrageously good. In fact, the detailing on this little animal is better than the detailing you get on most Jojo figures of that era. If sculpted his fur, they've sculpted his bared teeth, his eyes, his ears are back, indicating a sort of very aggressive stance. But there's not a lick of paint on his little eye. I've heard it said that there's some white paint on his underbelly. Well, that is so superfluous on an exactly. off-white animal. Whereas he really just needs it in the mouth area. A little bit of paint in that area would have, well, given him a face. <laughs> Sadly, he's got all these details with absolutely no accent. That doesn't detract. I think that adds to his charm. He's got the grey bandolier, the grey belt. He's got his um, dart launcher on his right arm. Everything else is black, but it just feels like it's that way for a reason. On the Sideshow figure, and I'm talking about the second release of Snake Eyes from Sideshow, they've sort of mirrored that as well by giving him all black gear because that's how he operates. He operates in the dark. It makes sense. It makes a little bit more sense than the Baroness, who is more S&M. Snake Eyes is not very S&M. I don't know, man. He does wear a skin-tight face mask. 
yeah, well, you know, we all know why he does that. And just to quote something from the file card, and Snake Eyes was tempered on the anvil of life until he was as dangerous as a razor-edged sword flailing in the dark. It's just such a cool line, and it just really, like, evokes this really dangerous quality to the character. Especially no, to is at his best. Poetic best. Yeah. And it's great. Very I mean, poetic. I, I mean, when somebody goes, oh, it's a ninja with a machine gun, I'm kind of like, well, that means that the ninjas without machine guns are getting shot. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Because, you know, and I know he's very difficult to criticize because of how important he is in the line. And well, I, my criticism relating to this figure is actually a criticism of the both of you. Why the hell don't you own one? Um, I'm working on that at the moment. I've decided it's probably time to get one now before he starts costing, like, $800 loose. <laughs> if you are a collector of G.I. Joe and you don't own a version 2 Snake Eyes, best you be correcting that. Damn right. He's a vintage Joe. That's a big problem right there. Limited articulation, etc. He's not a modern Joe. That's a big problem. But in saying that, how many modern Joes, and I have to, like, step down from my podium of modern Joe love, how many modern reiterations of Snake Eyes did Hasbro have to produce until they actually started hitting the right notes? And that, of course, listeners, is the Pursuit of Cobra Snake Eyes, who I think is probably the first Snake Eyes to really start looking perfect and start recapturing the essence of this figure. People tend to call it the Sideshow Snake Eyes. The Sideshow Snake Eyes. A, a lot of parallels with the Sideshow 12-inch versions. And that's, that's the thing. You've got a, a, a toy that captures that magic to the extent, and this is obviously to discredit to the modern era, but that Snake Eyes' legs are now found on most modern era re- releases of key characters, guys like Beachhead and whatever, all have those legs with that right holster that holds the silencer and the nine mil. That's something that you find quite a bit nowadays, and that's, that's a testament to, to that design. But we're not talking about the modern era. I just want to um, just add to what Rob was saying. And now, for 19... 86, as brought to you by Steve and Jabba. Well, 1986 is a rather straightforward year for me in terms of favorites. The first item under consideration, gentlemen, would be the Night Raven. Cobra Raven, Cobra Raven. There's no heaven from the Cobra Raven. So, how do you discredit the Night Raven brand? It's got that stupid little thing that comes with that ridiculous thing that it flies around with on its back that reduces its airspeed and makes it drag in the air. Increases its strength. Which is, of course, removable. Thankfully. Yeah, but I mean, what's the point of removing it? I mean, that's what it comes with. Why well, get it if you're always going to not have that? I suppose it makes it easier to buy it, not complete. And then there's red accents on it as well. I, I mean, love that's those. That's totally red not accents. stealth. <laughs> not stealth. Made of this lurid red color. And it's the same when they released it as a Sky Raven, I mean, you know, with those weird, like, yellow, whatever accents. It's strange. Those little under the wing things they make no sense. They fly forward, they fly back. Do they fly away as one unit, or do they fire themselves separate? It's small things like wow. that. And then that weird back-facing gun, that's just strange. You can't use it at high speed. I was just going to say, it doesn't seem like Steven's stealth fighter can outmaneuver Rob's shitstorm, but I'd still love to hear how. Well, no, I mean, I, I'm just interested in your criticisms. I'm not prepared to defend this plane, but uh, good, I, will, I, will, I, will ask you, <laughs> I will ask you this much. Which is the finer Cobra Jets? Which Cobra Jet could possibly outdo the Nitro? For all its faults. I think. Of which there are a few, as you have mentioned. I haven't even started. Cockpit comes <laughs> down. It's not I love that. Those, dude. Weird. <laughs> I know, I like the fact that it comes down. It's cool. 
but it's still. Oh, I don't need to defend this plane. You just. I know, but oh, I Rob. I love this plane. You don't understand. That's not your job tonight. <laughs> but know. of course, if when you're saying yeah, what other jet could you choose other than the Cobra Raven? Mm-hmm. I'd rather just not choose any then. This is the only option. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm saying you know, between the Raven, the Rattler, the Hurricane. Rattler, it has more, the, the, much more fun. There's like dozens of bombs. You can see it's two figures in there. It has that lovely little feature where you can remove the panel, make it look damaged. I think the, the Rattler just has it has more functionality. It has more fun to it. The wings tilt, the beautiful black color, and the pilot looks cooler. But, uh, no, I wouldn't be adding this to my collection. It's got too many little things about it that just niggle me. If I had to jump in. The underbelly is red. Alright, yeah, go for it. It's gray. <laughs> Whatever, it's, oh. If I have to attack this figure, it comes from actually owning it. Before I owned the Night Raven, hey, I was... you've lost the debate already. You actually own it. <laughs> I actually own it. I was blown away by... The sort of like sheer majesty of this. The first thing that ever turned me onto this vehicle was in the G.I. Joe movie. Uh, when you see them flying in the G.I. Joe movie, I love them. I think they're amazing. It was kind of weird because I never knew that this plane existed really. Um, as a toy, I just thought it was something cool in the movie. Then I kind of eventually clicked that the Silver Sky Patrol was actually a silver version of the Night Raven. And that got me clicked into it quite a bit. If I have to give two major criticisms for this toy is these are very difficult specimens to get in great condition online. Mine, for example, has a bit of slight warping on it. This is something that's obviously happened over time with um, fluctuating temperatures wherever it was originally stored. But the type of plastic that it uses, it uses like a kind of an acrylic composite, that is very susceptible to that warping and that's something that you should definitely look out for if you're going to be buying a raven because it tends to create a bit of a mouth on the side of the cockpit which my ocd has a little bit of trouble dealing with on occasion its color uh, the type of plastic that it is as well it tracks dust like a mofo it definitely needs a lot of wiping down and another just helpful hint but also <laughs> criticism in, in my room, room which um, is dust haven it is a dust haven. For the raven. For the raven, <laughs> when there's no haven from the dust. But another big thing is its landing gear. It uses a very, very cool gimmicky sort of device for its landing gear, which is great if you can get a raven that was released to 86, as in, I think it's the 87 or 88 release of the raven where the sliding mechanism at the bottom of it has a much better lock, which means that when it's parked on your shelf, it won't occasionally just decide to flop down because, you know, maybe you bumped it by accident while moving another G.I. Joe, because it does tend to do that. It does tend to go flop. The landing gear is a real pain in the ass. So make sure that you're going to buy this vehicle, if you're going to be buying it as a uh, collector and you want to an official 86 version, understand that this is one of its biggest gripes. If you want it and you want to play with it, you want to fly it around your house, you want to bomb Joe's, make sure you get an after 86 release because that landing mechanism is a real pain in the ass. I'm going to echo something that Rob said. Yes, the drop-down cockpit is very cool, but at the same time, it does sort of take away from it being just a straightforward conventional cockpit that would have worked equally as well, in my opinion, because that drop-down cockpit is also something that you have to look out for because my one, for example, was taped to it and when I removed the tape it all fell to shit because somebody tried to fix the clip originally by doing some kind of melting mod and I had to go and buy that little bridging piece. It also has a tendency to have a bit of a flappy air brake which can also be a bit of a pain and my gripe with the little drone ship that sits on the back is very few times where this pisses me off but I really don't like the fact that you have to get the guy sort of lying in there so he has glass in the cockpit for what? To catch a tan? And <laughs> yeah he can't sit upright it just seems weird that he has glass there. It's just such a cool purpose in the cartoon. It's just weird that they didn't try to mirror that. And, it, and also, most figures have a hard time fitting in there. Um, it is mm. a real pain. I mean, it's bigger than you think it is, but it's just a real pain. <laughs> and those are my real glaring issues with the Night Raven, that it is prone to warping. And I think that does also make it fragile. And also, there is 
very little agreement on which way the missile pods should face. They're ambiguous. You're not really sure if they're supposed to face forwards or backwards. There's quite a bit of debate online with certain collectors. Those are some sore points for it. As opposed to trying to seriously criticize this toy, it's more a case of warning you as a collector if you want to buy one, because there is very little that's actually wrong with the Night Raven. It's a great fucking toy. <laughs> You've just spent 10 minutes lambasting it. Now you're going to say it's very little wrong. It's a great piece of G.I. Joe history to have. It's also a vehicle that has been butchered in its modern representation, both in the film and in toy form. Fucking hate it in the film. It's the stupidest cockpit ever. It's like a box, and it's got nothing in it, and you have to speak, what, Gaelic to it. God. <laughs> so at least this one is non-Gaelic. Next up, the Battle Android Trooper. Trooper. I am quite surprised at that choice. Well, good luck trying to criticize its brain. Oh, here we go. Robbo, do you want to do it or should I do it? It breaks easily. He has that weird little thing on which his hand sits. And you have to pull those those little hand attachments off. Yeah, good luck. Those little hands and stuff. Oh, my God. I don't even think either of mine are not damaged. They have little wear and tear and sadness. And the fact that that chest thing... I mean, the chest thing is cool because it's that cool sticker thing. But once again, it's a sticker and it feels cavity inside his body. And also it's a robot. I can accept a lot of things in the G.I. Joe universe, but robots? That's, that's going a bit far. You have all these cool troopers, and suddenly you have these robots. It's a bit much. And otherwise, it's a beautiful figure. I mean, it's very different from a lot of other things that have come out before and after it. Beautiful detailing in the, in the actual toy itself. But it's just very, very fragile, I think. It would probably be very difficult to get one that isn't broken. The biggest issue I have with the bat, to this date, is still my biggest fucking issue with the toy. Its head is huge. It's got an enormous frickin' <laughs> noggin. It's like this robot with this giant melon. It's always hit me as odd. David's got one of these. I've played with one of these quite a bit, actually. And I love this toy. But the head is huge. I actually really love the modern era resizing of the head. I love the lenticular sticker. I'm not going to go and like criticize it and say, oh, no, it should have been recessed. Because the modern era gives us that recessed look. And it's cool to have both. But yes, that arm is quite fragile. I know with Dave's one, he was very pedantic about me changing out the arms and stuff because he was very scared of the pin breaking, which is a valid concern. Other than that, I can't really hate too much else on it. I love his color scheme, but I really just hate that big hit, that giant fucking hit. What about his ass? I don't mind that the robot has a flat ass. And it says made in yeah, Hong Kong, which is pretty cool. Oh, no, actually it doesn't. It's probably made in Malaysia. But that's pretty cool for like something like the bat because, you know, it's a robot. It should be made somewhere. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Finally appropriate that they stamp the figures with that on the back. My, what I find the bat does is it offers an extremely unique new style of Cobra Troop with okay. a feature that was extremely advanced in 1986. Removable limbs was not something that you'd seen in the G.I. Joe line ever. And True. you needed a robot or cybernetic trooper to give you that option, which the bat does with a form. I, I think it's so much more tastefully done on the vintage bat in the 25th anniversary. The 25th anniversary doesn't do a great deal wrong, but it does oversize the weapon attachments. As you say, and both hands, though, which is brilliant. If he's got two hands of attachments, I was going to manipulate anything at all. I expected 
take them out. Once it is deployed, he's set. Those are options for before you deploy. You go, you can have this, you can have that, this, attach them, switch it on, send it out. So I wonder why he didn't get sent into the field with the appropriate weapons with a handheld. I think the gimmick with the Battle Android Trooper is that he's able to switch out his attachments in the field. If he needs to gain access to a structure, he gets that mangling claw out. And if he wants to set fire to a enemy bunker, he whips out his flamethrower. How does pot. he whip it out with that big head? Bung, bung. He takes his backpack off, <laughs> sets it down, and 20 minutes later, it's ready. I agree with what you're saying. He definitely is a new breed of Cobra Trooper and it's really great that you have something that, for example, you can actually kill on screen. Definitely adds different dimensions to things like the G.I. Joe cartoon universe, at least. And I know that I had a lot of fun with these guys when I used to play with them as a kid. I really love cyborgs. I love mecha and robots and stuff, so I really have no issue with Cobra having a cyborg trooper. That is is definitely not one of my criticisms. I've never looked for one of these online, personally, so I don't know what condition you find them in. I can only imagine that most of the time they are missing their attachment. And my third item for consideration or criticism, <laughs> I wish you well, gentlemen, the 1986 Tomahawk. Ha! Can I start on this one, Rob? Yeah, please, rip it apart. It's something you did mention earlier, so I'm just going to bring it back up. The winch. One of the coolest features on this helicopter's ability for it to move small vehicles and troops around with its winch, which is a really, really cool idea, except for the fact that when it brings them all the way up, they're kind of like stuck to the bottom of the helicopter. It's a silly design flaw, which, incidentally, listeners, is removable. So if it really bugs you that much, you can take it out. It's a feature. It's a shit feature when it's in there. I'm just putting it out there. It's cool that it's got it, and it evokes some serious jungle strike and urban strike vibes, but... Hey, at least it's removable, like you say. Yeah. Like yeah. Zing! Zing! And the fact that you have two of them also really irks me, <laughs> considering how you found the one. I think trying to find one of these in a good condition is probably tough. From the many Tomahawks I've seen on eBay, probably the biggest thing are the rotors. Just detaching them, you can't detach them. And then the rotors as well, the type of plastic they're made from, they tend to kind of sag over time. And I think they break off very easily. Once they're broken, you can't fix that. Aside from um, making new ones. Yeah, exactly. But then it won't be the same. It's not complete. It's not authentic. And also, I think getting figures in and out of it is very finicky. Yeah, it's it's nice. You can attach them to the chairs and, you know, then you put them back into the vehicle. But it's very finicky trying to get figures in and out of that thing. It just makes it very tough to play with it nicely. Like, you you put it down and you're like, oh, okay, get the figure with the chair out, take the chair off, put the chair back in. Yeah, it just kind of takes time. Breaks up the flow of, like, playing. And then, yeah, also it doesn't have doors. That was mentioned earlier that something they could have improved if they'd done the Eagle Hawk differently. But the Tomahawk itself does not have doors on. So it just looks open all the time. Couldn't fly this thing in the rain. Those guys would get wet. I think also the color schemes. Well, it doesn't fit in with earlier vehicles. This sort of, like, desert camo look. It's not Joe up to that point. Joe was very green. The original 13 wall green, all the vehicles green. They didn't mean they're going into different territory here. Obviously, they intended it to be used in different areas. So... I think it's a cool vehicle. I mean, it's a necessary thing. You need it if true transport fulfills that function. Yes, and it's something that there have been a dearth of vehicles in the Joe line to, to fulfill that function. So I think, dear friends and collectors out there, if you do not own a Tomahawk, you'd be hard-pressed to find another vehicle that does what it does as well as it does. I mean, the light is shone on the PTE line and the Black Horse that you could get there rather inexpensively that accommodate G.I. Joe figures quite nicely, easily as well as the Tomahawk does. And then if you have more money than that, the Blue Box Black Hawks or Cave Hawks and other very accurate and accurately scaled read enormous helicopters. But the Tomahawk is so iconic. 
it is so irrevocably G.I. Joe. Yeah. My first blushing was with the comic book, with through the comic book. And in that comic book, I thought this, this was a fictitious, made-up comic book exclusive vehicle akin to the purple Cobra transport helicopter. Lo and behold, the day I discovered on the internet that the Tomahawk does in fact exist. Oh, wow. This is a real toy put out by Hasbro. And you could actually buy the damn thing. Well, needless to say, it was the priority vehicle to get. In fact, when I discovered that I could buy things from America online, the very first thing I put an order in for was the Tomahawk. It was not meant to be. The supplier had just run out of stock, apparently. I think they just were very shoddy at updating their website. They probably only ever had one Tom Hawkins stock, mm. and that went like wildfire. Flash forward a couple of years, and I eventually got my hands on a Tom Hawk from another vehicle dealer who's now defunct and operates no more. And the day I bought it, I wept. This vehicle has a kind of a spiritual place for me. It's the finest toy, most fun toy, and most slickly interactive toy with my favorite toy line ever. And the fact that it exists is a miracle to me. It is a revelation. <laughs> I'm getting very biblical about this vehicle, but... You it's know. a pity it's crap, though. I know, right? <laughs> I'm kidding, bro. I can only say, dear collectors out there, if this is of any use to you, if you do not own a Tomahawk, if you're considering the Eagle Hawk, just know that this vehicle, as cheesy as it sounds, touched me in ways that no other G.I. Joe item has. And I've got quite a few very highly prized items, but nothing got me quite as heady with excitement and the prospect of the kind of play that I could have as the Tomahawk did. It is legendary, and it is so for a reason, and perhaps you haven't found out for yourself, it's time to find out. It's a pity it isn't big if you want... <laughs> yeah. I want to respond to one item of criticism, and that's the helicopter blades. Now, provided they're not drooping to the point where they're actually touching the ground, if you are able to hairdryer the rotor hub, flip the blades around, you can have them angle up and let gravity eventually do its thing. That is one way of correcting the bend. The plastic is brittle. It's not a completely flexible, rubbery plastic, akin to the dragonfly helicopter blade. But you can doctor those blades and conduct some repair work. So if you see tomahawks online that have droopy blades, it's not irreversible. It does so many things right that I can forgive its slights. It's shortcoming. I can forgive them a lot more readily than I can forgive a flag or a slugger. Yes, friends, Tomahawk is perhaps my favorite toy in existence. So, get yours. Today. Yes. Or get the damn Eagle Hawk. You have my blessing. But just know that as a real Joe fan, you're cheating yourself just slightly. There are Tomahawks out there. Save up the bob and get it on the pay. They're reasonably well-priced, actually. They're not totally out of this world. I've seen them going for like $150. Fair enough. I mean, I got mine for 80 US, and that was in 2005. So it's not like such an expensive piece of G.I. Joe memorabilia. It certainly is one of the more bite-sized holy grails in, in the line. I'll give it that. Yeah, definitely. more accessible perhaps than obviously a flag, a pterodrome, or a defiant. Or even a 1983 Sky Striker. Because, I mean, Sky Strikers go for insane prices versus what Tomahawks go for. And I think a Tomahawk is a much cooler toy than a Sky Striker. Definitely. Because it's more playable. Yeah, I mean, you can do yeah, more with it. A Sky Striker loses a lot of its appeal if you don't have 
a Cobra jet for it to dogfight with, yeah. for starters. It's very difficult well, you can't to... very well hold them both at the same time. No, you can't. So, so you definitely you, need a friend. If you have a Sky Striker and your friend has the Cobra jet, then you've got... Yeah, but that's... Yeah, that's fun, definitely... Fun, fun, for everyone. A Tomahawk is a cool toy in that. For example, like, sometimes David flew it and I was next to it and then, like, he would land and I'd take two guys out of the vehicle itself and I'd, like, move them in while he was landing the vehicle. It wasn't, like, a matter of I had a jet, he had a jet, and now we're, like, flying around. So it's a cool toy in that regard. It's got a multiplayer aspect to it. Just a, one or two quick notables. We see we have a great follower on our Facebook page. We have somebody called Action Figure Classifieds liking G.I. Joe Berg. I am very glad they like us. We hope you're enjoying the show. And then also, Stephen was recently contacted by somebody. Steve? Hello? Steven? Are you still there? Come play with us. Yeah, thank you for um, putting up with uh, how cool the Tomahawk was and all of other Stevens' like really amazing choices that weren't really as cool as Rob's and mine. We thank yeah, you for joining us on episode 23 of G.I. Joe Bird. Peace out. Yeah.